Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, producer Josh Elliott Wolf. We're here. The day after games one and two of the preseason, Canucks losing both in the split squad affair to the Vang. Uh, to the, nah, the Canucks did not lose to the Canucks. No, they contrary did not. to reports. They lost to the Abbotsford Canucks. <laughs> they lost to the Stockton Heat. <laughs> Oh wait, seat. no, it's uh they're 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 Calgary something. Calgary Wranglers. 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 Right. Apparently it's a word like, I can't say well. <laughs> like the jeans? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Huh. Wranglers. Why? <laughs> I mean it's Wrangle, you know, Wrangle, you I know, Cowboys so. Wrangle, Wrangle, yep. you know, stock, livestock and all that sort of stuff. Okay. It's it's a it's a cowboy term, very Alberta. <laughs> We're in the Kintech studio as always, and of course, if you're not listening live, which you can each and every day at Canuck Central is here, but you can also listen on demand via podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. We do very much appreciate it. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire Quality Service You Can Trust and 14 locations to serve you. So. Saturday, Canucks are getting ready for their final scrimmage of training camp in Whistler. Mm-hmm. Packed house. And Brock Besser is noticeably absent from said scrimmage. Afterwards, Patrick Alvin says it's precautionary and everything is fine. Nothing to see here. Two days later, well, yesterday, Bruce mm-hmm. Boudreaux gave an update after the game said day-to-day. And then today, this morning, we get an update. Brock Besser has had successful hand surgery and is out three to four weeks. Not great, but now there's a whole new situation going on with the Vancouver Canucks and how they set up for the start of the season. It creates a lot of questions. And it's funny, you take one guy out of your top nine, and the positive is you have Niels Hoaglander waiting, and he's been impressing and doing everything he can to get off uh, on the right track to begin this season. So he's going to slot right into your top nine. So that's an easy fix. I hate he to say He goes into it. your top nine. You called it, Sat. You're like, ah, oh, injuries happen. Hoaglander <laughs> will be in the top nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you know it, like, Hoaglander, like, it's, it's a spot will open. That's just how it works. It's, injuries always happen. It's life they? in the NHL. It yes. is, man. I mean, we always talk about this during the season. <laughs> what, where are you going to play this guy? <laughs> what can we do? And next thing you know, it's like, well, now you're two bodies short. Yeah. Remember last year, it's like, the Cucks have so many defensemen. What are you going to do with all these guys? And it's like, they need more lefties. What happened? <laughs> you know, it was like, what, what, what's, it's, it's, it's the nature of the NHL. It's the way it's going to happen. But to your point, it creates a lot of questions about who you play where because there isn't an easy fix. It's easy to put Hoaglander in the top nine. It's not easy figuring out what the best combination is without Besser on, on the line with Miller and Pearson. So do we want to talk about Besser first or how to best navigate forward without Brock Besser in the lineup? Which do we want to tackle first and foremost here? Um, let's just do the injury stuff. Okay. It's the elephant in the room. So are you, are you going to fire off some injury prone <laughs> takes or something here? Is it unfair to call Brock Besser injury prone? Because when it came out this morning and I started talking about it on Twitter, we all did immediately. Uh, you get the injury prone take yeah. on Brock Besser. Um, he has had, a few years, I believe it was Drance who pointed out, three of the last four years Brock has had some kind of injury 
in training camp or the yeah. preseason. And even this past year, even though it wasn't an injury, he was dealing with a, with an emotionally difficult situation with his yeah. father throughout the offseason heading into the season. So uh, there's been a lot with, with Brock. Yeah. At the same time, over the last two seasons, he's missed 11 games. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about 138 possible games and Brock Besser played 127 of them. Yes. To me, that's not necessarily injury prone. Even you go back to his rookie year freak accident with Cal Clutterbuck and the back injury, then the wrist injury happens in the second year. I think the the lowest games he's played in a season was, what, 58 or 59 out of a possible 82? Or actually 69 the year before uh, uh, the, the, the COVID season happened. So, you know, like... Yeah, 56. It's not it's not like he's missing a ton of games. It just feels like he's always carrying some kind of an injury with him. Yeah, I mean, the injury-prone stuff, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that stuff's easy to say when somebody gets injured. Mm-hmm. But to your point, when you look at what's actually happened and the things that have gone on, I don't think he's injury-prone per se. But the problem here is when... Or if are we ever going to see Brock Besser have a peak Brock Besser season? We talked about this year. Hey, you know what? As tough as everything was last year with his father, he got a contract figured out quickly. He's moving forward, very refreshed. We had had a conversation with him last week when when he joined us, and he seemed eager, excited about this season, and this is going to be the best year he's going to have. This is the year he's going to get 30 goals. Go back and listen to Brock on Friday. I mean, it's on the podcast page. He was fired up. He was excited about the season, really feeling like he was in a good spot. And here we are. But is he now going to be able to have a peak season? Hey, three to four weeks, not the end of the world. So, okay, three weeks from today, the Canucks will be playing their third game of the regular season. Yes. Uh, if Brock goes on IR just before the season begins, October 11th, that'll put him out for at least seven days. So he'll miss on that timeline at least four games of the season. So if you look at it that way, maybe a minimum, like the minimum amount of games Brock misses is probably four. Four games. So four to five is the best case scenario. Yeah. But he's not going to have a proper ramp up. He can skate and do all those things, which is good or whatever. But how many games is it going to take for him to find a rhythm? He's not going to get into preseason games. Yeah. He's not going to get his game fitness up, as uh, coaches will often talk about and players will often talk about. Or uh, the soccer term, is he match fit? Yes. <laughs> There's a difference between being fit and match, and match fit. fit. Yes. Um, that, that's That's kind of what it's at and do you get your timing do you get your rhythm which is just so important for a goal scorer and and the type of offensive player Brock is yeah and those are the questions I have so that's not to say he may not have his best season he may still hit 30 goals but I'm just not sure we're going to see the best version of Brock for this entire season and hey do you ever see the best version of any player for an entire season? They go through phases, ups and downs, and all yeah. those sort of things. And he may put together 75 incredible games, and this conversation is going to be completely meaningless. But given everything we've seen with his history, when things aren't, say, aligned properly or well heading into a season, 
typically that season doesn't allow him to be the best version of himself. He does pick it up. He does have good stretches. He will play well. He's a very good player. This is not to say that Brock Besser is going to play at a third or fourth line level. What we're talking about is, is this going to be the year where we see him be the absolute best version of himself? So last year it was the groin injury in training camp, and uh, the feeling at the start of the season was Brock just doesn't look like he's got as pace. much pace as he as we normally see him with. Now it's it's uh, it, it's a hand injury, wrist injury, and you know surgery, which is always a bit of an alarm bell when you hear surgery. But three to four weeks, like after surgery, that's seems like a not so serious injury Uh, on the scale of like what you can have surgery for, you know, it's, it's on the shorter of the timelines for a surgery and being able to come back. But, like, there's no reason this should exclude Brock from scoring 30 goals. No, this and that's I, th- I still think if you had to predict, does he get 30? I'd probably still lean yes. Yeah. But my greater question goes back to what we talked about. We haven't seen Brock Besser get to his ceiling yet. He showcased tantalizing potential in his first yeah. season. And then his second season was all right, but not quite at that level. And ever since then, it's kind of been a search for, okay, what is, what is the What about absolute the North peak? Division year? He was good. He was good. He was good that year. But it wasn't a full season. And that's not his fault. But that was a North Division year. The team yeah. had a horrible year. And as well as Brock played, you didn't played see a every full game year. that year. 56 games. Led the team in scoring 49 points that year, was yeah. it? So almost a point a game. You know, that's what, a 70-point pace over if you extrapolate it to an 82-game season? Great. He played 62 games his rookie year, and he had 29 goals. Yeah. And, and what pace is that? Like 37 goals? So pace, your point is we're always talking about paces with Brock rather yes. than like. And, and not only that, like what? Okay. We we talked today, this the past few weeks about what is the best version of Brock Besser? Like yeah. what, what's, what's the best, most impactful player? And we're not quite sure what that looks like yet. Mm-hmm. But now with this injury, I'm just not sure this is the year we're going to see that again. So we're always kind of searching for what is the best version of Brock Besser? You know, and I'm not sure this year, even though we thought it would be the year that we get that indication, this is the year that it comes full circle. We really understand what he is for all the good and all the flaws. This year, we really understand what this player truly is capable of doing. And it comes at a time now where you are paying for the best version of Brock Besser. Yeah. Right. Uh, Gets the the contract bump this year. It's it's not a great situation. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it is. Anytime one of your star forwards gets hurt before the season, it's not ideal. But I, I do feel that the panic or the level of concern is a little bit over the top for me. I, I still believe Brock can score 30 goals this year. I still believe he can be a huge part of this team. I, I disagreed with something I heard on the People Show with with Bick and Randeep. They were talking about, like, okay, who are the most important players for the Canucks mm-hmm. this season, and yeah. is Brock even in the top seven? And they both said no. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. Me looking at where the Canucks are going to or how I construct – the Canucks to get to the playoffs. Yeah. I'm not looking at like Vasily Podkolzin to score 50 points all of a sudden. I'm not looking at Kuzmenko to come up here and show that he's a 50 point player and score 25 goals. 
the way I'm crafting the Canucks to get to a level like 270 goals for this year was penciling in Brock for 30 to 35 goals. I think he's a hugely important piece to this roster. Of course, you talk about Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, Demko. Like, those guys are easily the first four. And then you can maybe debate between Horvat and Brock. But I know what I'm getting out of Horvat. I know exactly what I'm getting out of Bo Horvat. But the ceiling of Brock Besser, seeing the breakout from Brock Besser that we've thought about and talked about, I think that's one of the things that helps the Canucks get to a next level. Yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree with you on Brock Besser not being. So they didn't have him in the top seven? No. So Pedersen, Miller, Horvat, OEL, Demko, and Hughes. Yeah. I'd say those guys firmly as far as importance to the team and would, would be ahead of Besser. Brock? That's six players. Yeah. I probably have Besser at seven. Yeah, where they said seven or six? They said seven. Seven. So I didn't have them. Seven. So yeah, I I agree with you. I, I believe they even put pods in there. I don't want to put words in their mouth. Yeah. So I I'd say, but it was trash takes by both <laughs> of them. <laughs> so I'd say I'd, I'd have Besser in there at number seven. Yeah. So I'd have him as the seventh most important player for this. Brock team. is more. OEL is more important than Brock. Yes. Who, in in what way? Like who is another defenseman that can play at a top four level and play twenty minutes a game? Yeah, they have one defenseman. You, who's your? You build a team out. What build building a team out to me? You build it down the spine, right? So you say the first line center, second line center, top defense pair, and the second defense defense yeah. top defenseman, and then a goalie. Those are your five spots, I'd say, or four spots really. And I'd actually say you could even make the argument that another center, if he's good enough, it would be better. But basically, you want to have two centers as your cores, two defensemen, and a goalie. And then, you th- and then your fifth guy, you want to be an impact guy, usually a, a an impact type of winger. And that's where you have Miller, Pe- Horvat, and Pedersen as your three kind of spine players. And then I'd have to put OEL with, with Hughes because you need to have, who's your number two defenseman? Yeah. And the only guy that's capable of doing so, whether he can do it well or not, and whether he, whether, whether he can do it better than he did last year, which I think he's capable of and he should do, but I'd say he's a more important player than Brock Besser to this team. Agree to disagree. Really? Yeah. I mean, who else? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going with a number two defenseman or playing number two defenseman role more than maybe your second best winger or maybe your best winger. Maybe um, we're just looking at it differently. And, and I'm thinking, again, as I said, about how the Canucks get to another level and – part of my reasoning that they can be a 95 plus point team and get into the postseason was Brock Besser being that guy that can be 65, 70 points, score 30 plus goals and help this team get to a level that they are scoring like other playoff teams. We talked about it last week. They scored 247 goals last year. No other playoff team in the Western Conference, no playoff team in the Western Conference scored fewer than 266. Yeah, I know, but even their defense... They got to score more. They do, but their defense last year was, like, they played at an average team level, but the results were excellent because they're one of the lowest, yeah. best teams in five-on-five uh, five goals against. Uh, but they gave up too many chances. Too many chances. So you can get cleaner. I, I just... Like, I, I'm you, comfortable with what OEL brings, and I expect he'll bring exactly what he did last year at the very least. Yeah. So in that case, yes. But if he even takes a step back, 
Mm-hmm. To me, that's more catastrophic for this team than Besser being injured or Besser not being able to play. So as it, it comes down, that's maybe, fair. You know what I mean? Like we're we're talking about like, importance yeah. of if value. OEL at thirty one takes a step back, and it's like. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 bad, <laughs> and it starts to get dicey. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. That yeah. might be it for the season. No, but but to your point about Brock, this was the year where I really wanted to see him take charge. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like this is the year now. You're 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 getting to your mid, you know, late mid to late twenties soon. You're, you're no longer the thick a kid. of your statistical prime. This is where you really show what you are as a player. If you want, if you have another step in you, you do that this season. And hey, maybe he does. I'm just skeptical. Because when you miss three to four weeks, right at the start of the season, and this is a player who's shown when things don't go well for him heading into a season, it makes it tougher for him to get up to speed. Yes. It, it, it takes him time to catch up with it. So that, to me, is the most disappointing part of it. He'll be fine. He'll help this team out. But I'm not sure we're going to see that player for the full season. We had hoped we were going to see. So is it easier to paper over Brock's absence? Well, yes, because this this should be where the depth of the team comes in. Yeah. So for all the disappointment about Brock's potential and what Brock can do and us being able to figure out his absolute peak, this is what the team is building for by having not 10 forwards who are capable of being top nine guys. And that's why Niels Hoaglander found himself on the outside looking in. Niels Hoaglander is a top nine player on a lot of teams in the NHL. Should be a top nine guy on this team even. Mm-hmm. Now he gets that opportunity, and when you have that depth built out, and even guys like Lazar and Dickinson, they're not third or fourth line. They're not third liners or anything, or or second liners. But Dickinson, at his peak, was one of the top performing third line players in the league for a point. He's capable of moving up and playing a little bit. Your forward group should be able to withstand injuries, and even though Besser is your most important goal scorer on the wing, this is how the team is built to withstand this in the for the time being. The question just becomes, what are the combinations to maximize? What yeah. you have now in your top nine with Besser out. So we were banking on Pearson Miller Besser to be the top line of this team. Uh, Pearson Miller Besser was, by expected goals, really strong last year. They played 197 minutes together and controlled nearly 60% of the expected goals, but in actuality, scored nine, gave up nine. I think there's an easy solution to this sat at least for what to do on the top line in Besser's absence the little guy number eight who on the post game show you called god awful last night he was terrible <laughs> last night like even the goal he scored I mean he almost missed the net shot it right into the pads he's gonna miss the net if, you, if the goal didn't save Wolf didn't save it then he puts in the rebound and listen I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not this is the one time on I am not going to like vehemently <laughs> defend Connor Garland. and again my point wasn't to get down on Garland but Somebody was like, Garland was great. I'm like, he was the first. I'm like, he was terrible. terrible yeah. He was, night. I mean, he was, he was in preseason <laughs> mode. Okay. Is, is maybe the nice way to put yeah. it. Yeah. And we know Canucks management is using nice words and being very polite with how they describe the play of some of their players right now. Well, especially a defenseman on a PTO. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there is an easy solution to the top line. And it's simply to put Connor Garland on the right wing of JT Miller with Tanner Pearson as yeah. the left wing. I, I, look, I think the proof is in the numbers. Pearson and Miller work well together, and the Canucks control play when those two guys mm-hmm. played together last year, so I don't see why it would be any different. But Pearson, Miller, Garland played 163 minutes together last year, so not very much fewer than Pearson, Miller, Garland. Yeah. 
and they were on for eight goals for, four against, over 60% of the expected goals, controlled the shot share. I mean, all of the underlying metrics said that this was fine. So the easy solution, mm-hmm. move Garland off of Horvat's wing and put him up there with Pearson and Miller. It Honestly, that's the easiest, cleanest yeah. thing to do. But I, I wonder if they do it. Oh. And the reason I wonder, and this comes back to how are they going to be utilizing that top line? Right. Are they utilizing it as, hey, we're, we have three lines, we're rolling them all, or this is our first line? And if push comes to shove, these are the guys we're throwing up against Connor McDavid. If I have a choice of who I throw out, this is the guy I'm, you know, who I have out against them. If that's who you're going to be using, if you're using that line that way, I'm not sure. And I'm not against putting Garland in that position. I'm not sure the coach feels like Garland is the right player to be in that role on that line. That's my question. Because if Boudreaux's he is, never been a hard match guy, anyways. No, he hasn't. And that's my question. So if he does, if he doesn't do those things, then I think it's perfect. But if they're using that line, say, if they're leaning on that a bit more heavily in situations, mm-hmm. maybe they want a different type of player on that line than Garland. So that's my only would, question. Uh, Mikhaev is also injured, pending status. Uh, pending status. Uh, left last night's game. Um, you know, early indication I've gotten is that it's not too serious yeah, but we heard the same thing about Besser <laughs> we heard it was just precautionary with with uh with Brock Besser I so will say with I'm not Be- confident in anything I say yet no with injuries and even the Besser thing just circling back for one second I don't know all the medical stuff on it but the indication seems, seems to be even the surgery wasn't like something massive yeah like it was a relatively minor surgery for the injury, and, and it should be something that heals pretty quickly. Now we'll see if that actually happens or not, but that seems to be the word at the very least. So if Mikheyev is available, he could make some sense. On that top line with he, Pearson and Miller. But well, the question, though, is do you want to have three lefties on that line? Mm-hmm. And do you want to put him in that type of a spot? without any sort of familiarity? Now, hey, you have a few preseason games. Maybe that's all you need to figure it out. So do you just completely juggle the lines, the top three, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden like, okay, this blueprint's out the window. Let's like go back to the drawing board. Pearson and Horvat back together. Yeah. Uh, Like, I I don't, I don't know if you do that. Right. Like, let's say you move Mikhaev to the top line and Hoaglander goes to the right wing of, um, Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. What do you do then with Hoaglander and Pod Colson? I guess you just keep Garland there. Yeah. Is that a cleaner fix to just keep that line intact? Put Hoaglander with Pettersson. They had some chemistry last year. Give Hoaglander that chance that you know he can do that again, but maybe finish at a little bit of a better rate with two super offensive players. Give them offensive opportunities rather than you know, maybe uh, defensive chances, which they might have gotten with Mikhaev on that wing, and you roll it that way. I, I don't know, but I, for me, I, I, every time I look back at it, I'm just – the easiest solution is for me to put Garland yeah. with Miller and Pearson. That's what I would do as well, and I think that's the easiest, cleanest way. If they don't do it, I just wonder what the thought process behind it would be because you're right. You just throw Garland up there, and then you just put Hoaglander with Horvat and put Colson, and – Hoaglander has chemistry with, with Horvat. They played well together before and put Colson, we know, has played with Hoaglander as well. 
And I think that's the easiest, cleanest thing to do. But it also depends on McKayev's status. And now, you know, after the first preseason game, we're looking at Brock Besser missing three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking at a bit of a different mix in the top nine than the one we expected. And we're still kind of waiting to find out if a second player is going to be outside. And then we haven't even got to the point of this opens up as a roster spot for somebody else. Yes. So to break camp, a player we weren't expecting is going to make this team now. I think I, uh, I have an idea who it might be. Oh, no, you have an idea who you want it to be. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. Also, this does leave a pretty big spot open on the top power play unit. Is this Andre Kuzmenko's chance to continue to grow in that net front role that we saw him in last night? We'll discuss that, what this means for Nils Hoaglander as well. But coming up next... Sean Gentile is going to join us from The Athletic. Their Canucks season preview just came out. They've got them slated as a 50-50 chance to make the playoffs and a projection of 92 points. Where do they like the Canucks? Where do they think the Canucks need to improve? That's coming up next on Canucks Central. Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Uh, if I seem a little off today, Sad, I, I, I put something in the slow cooker at home. And I don't know, like, I know I shouldn't be worried about it. It's a slow cooker. You know, you just, you set it and forget it, right? It slowly cooks. And it it should be fine. And yet, here I am still wondering if I'm going to go back to my burnt apartment. Yeah. The good the good thing is the apartment is pretty close to home. So yes. if you hear fire trucks going by, you can just run by and So we might know pretty <laughs> quick. <laughs> see what's going on. But I know what you're what you're talking about. That sinking feeling. It's like when you're a kid, did you lock the door or not or whatever yeah. and you're always kind of worried about it. But there's appliances that you probably should unplug when you're not at home. Yeah. And if you don't, you stress about it when you're not at home. It's like, I'm like that with my coffee machine if I don't unplug it. Because it gets, it gets so hot, right? So if I don't unplug it and I'm out for the whole day, especially if we're working a game, and I'm yeah. like, is my apartment going to burn down by the time I come home? Hopefully uh, I'll have dinner ready in the slow cooker. I don't do this often with the slow cooker. But anyways, I'm try- trying new things, trying to live a better lifestyle here <laughs> as uh, as we go into the fall. Well, that means you had a very expensive weekend. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Meal prepping means summer just got too expensive. Let's uh, let's bring in our uh, our next guest. He is uh, from the Athletic. It is Sean Gentile. Thanks for the Sean. How are you, fellas? How are we doing? Did I miss meal prep discussion? I heard the tail end of that. Yeah, I like I I got something in the slow cooker at home, and I just can't help but wonder if if my house is is burning down right now. <laughs> the slow cooker is tough for a bunch of reasons. Like part of it is it part of it I, it's just tough to commit to starting dinner that early and also, <laughs> and, and also the anxiety of yeah thinking you're gonna burn down burn down your place whenever you leave it there uh, the commercials are great just like you know you said it you leave home you go to work and when you get home from work it's everything's ready to go it's like yeah but yeah, i got right. like worried it, about it, cut, it all day yeah it also it also cuts out the part where you have to like come up with something to put in the slow cooker <laughs> yes. and cut it like cut it up and put it in the slow cooker that's like a major step that 
I feel like I can't really tell you about. Yeah, the, the shopping channel always gets me, man. What, what, what can I say? Uh, so uh, we, we we wanted to check in um, as you guys uh, just put out the projection for the Vancouver Canucks, and you have them as a ninety-two point team, which is exactly as they were last year. I, I'm pretty sure every Canucks fan is saying, "Oh, they're just gonna they're gonna be better." You know, uh, they they got back Miller. They didn't trade anybody. They brought in some new guys and Pedersen, Hughes, Demko. They're all going to be better and things are going to be fine. They got Bruce Boudreaux. They're going to make the playoffs. Perfect, right? Right? Is that is that how it's going to work, Sean? I, I mean, before we say anything else, I just want to say that if anybody has a problem with these projections, uh, do not take it up with me. You can blame <laughs> the computer. You can blame Dom Lustician. You can blame whoever you want. I just, I just, I just kind of work here. But yeah, the, uh, yeah, that. The 90-point projection, I think it's it's sort of, I mean, I know it's where they were last year, but yeah, it's, um, you know, sort of provocative or, or whatever, sort of uh, conversation-inducing for a lot of parts, right? Because, yeah, there is that thought. That is kind of the logical uh, conclusion to draw after the last season that they had, that they should be better, right? Because you get a full season of Boudreaux and you don't kind of punt on the first six weeks with Pedersen and that that alone should be enough to you know, put them above where they were. I get it. I, I get the, I, I get, I get, I get, you know, that kind of, that kind of strain of logic, but you know, that also needs to account for JT Miller having a similarly mm-hmm. great season. And that was an outlier for him as, you know, a 29 year old or, or, or a 30 year old. Right. So yeah, you have to account for certain things and you got to assume that, you know, even if you think that Pedersen is going to take that step and be as good as everyone thinks he thinks he can be and will be that there will be also kind of concordantly certain things that don't go their way. And I think that's kind of what the model accounts for overall. Well, and, and I think actually when when you see a team projected to get about 91, 92 points or something, somewhere in that range, and you know what how a season goes, it's hockey. Mm-hmm. Things can go up and down. So really it's about do you get to a baseline where you give yourself a chance? Now there's a difference between giving yourself a chance of winning a Stanley Cup and giving yourself a chance of making the playoffs. And the Canucks, well, given how far they've had to go, they're at a spot where they're trying to make the postseason. So I think they're in that spot where – Maybe they get to 100 points if things align, if things really go sideways. Maybe mm-hmm. they're like an 86-point team. But anytime you're kind of a, a mid to low 90-point team, we're talking about four or five wins. And in a hockey season, that can just be a stroke of luck one way or another. Absolutely. It's a hot run by a goaltender, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much variance that can happen over the course of a season that, you know, th- that can swing things drastically one way or the other. I think that's something that, you know, people always need to account for when the, when they see this stuff, right? Like this isn't locked and loaded. There's a big difference between nine. It's kind of counterintuitive because there's a big difference in terms of positioning between say 92 points and 99 points, but that's also can be four goals mm-hmm. here or there, right? Yeah. So it's putting a number on the most likely outcome, but that's not locked in and, and things can change pretty quickly. It's meant as like a baseline. It's meant as a glimpse and it's meant as, you know, an expression of the most likely outcome, not necessarily that, not necessarily to say that this team getting <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks getting 101 points or 106 points or 81 points or whatever is particularly unlikely, right? It's just putting a, just putting a, a specific kind of number on, you know, the most of the, the most likely outcome. It's it's not ruling anything out, and I think that's something people need to remember when they look at this stuff, whether it's from the athletic or projections from uh, from other people, right? Like a lot of stuff can go wrong or and, and a lot of stuff can go right 
in 82 games is a really long time. So what do you think about the uh, Canucks? Never mind the the computer projections. Uh, How how do you look at this team? I think I maybe have a little bit more faith in Pedersen and Quinn Hughes kind of making the jump into legitimate franchise-level stars than the model does. Um, And I think that's really what it hinges on, right? Like if the Canucks want to hit their top end, if they want to do better than 92 points and – not just make the playoffs, but, you know, be a relevant team once they get here. It's going to take those guys being top end. And, you know, I, I think I believe in their ability to get there uh, maybe maybe more than the spreadsheet does. I, I, I believe in their talent. I believe in Bruce Boudreaux, mm. you know, as a guy who can coach offensively talented players in the regular season at least. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish on their, on their projections, I think. You know, then then the then the model is mainly based on the talent of those two guys. Yeah, I think you just nailed the most important part of the Boudreaux effect. And it's easy to say it's it's about how the team plays. And yeah, obviously it's a big part of it. But you see it with specific coaches that are really successful. They're about understanding how to get the most out of their best players. And that's really been his MO everywhere he's been for the most part. He he understands how to get the best out of his best young players. And you've seen guys kind of graduate. Now the postseason has been an issue, but that's a different conversation. But what is it about Boudreaux that has him for a guy that comes off as you know very happy go lucky and everything but for a guy that comes off that way he's very well in tune and understands star players and how to put him in a position to be successful which is funny given his career as a player right like I I think it's one of those sort of counterintuitive things where this guy was this guy was a ham and egger like just dude who you know he's playing AHL games and you know ECHL games and he's playing in Johnstown and making flat you know, slap shot cameos and whatever else. This guy was not a star player in his own right, but he has, you know, made his bones over the course of his career since those early days with the Caps, you know, knowing how to how to take the reins off skilled players, you know. And we saw it with we saw it with Ovechkin, we saw it with Mike Green, we saw it more than enough with, you know, the Wild over the years. So yeah, there's something about his you know, about his personality where, you know, he, he kind of he empowers those players to do, to do what they do well. And I think they respond to that. You know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's also a good guy to be around. And I think that helps over the course of, you know, a, a, a six month, 82 game season. Like it helps. I mean, like we've, we've all been there, right. It helps if you like your boss. And I think that's something that comes into play with these guys as well. It's uh, it's kind of the conversation every year in, in hockey, but, there is uh, kind of a, a group of a lot of teams in the middle in the Western Conference, right? You've got Colorado, who we know and feel is going to be a juggernaut. Again, maybe you could say the same about Edmonton with their two top dogs. They're, they're not going to miss the playoffs. But you know, I, I, it just feels like there's one great team in the Western Conference, and then there's everybody else. Am I uh, overstating it a little bit? I think you're about right. I think you sort of – you know, Colorado's head and shoulders above everybody. I don't think I'm breaking any new ground by saying that. And then that next tier, I think you have, I think you have Calgary, and I think you know, whatever, in, insanely busy off season, but one that's ultimately going to land them with a pretty solid roster. Then you then you have Edmonton, which it feels like we're, you know, having the same conversation, you know, about them every year. And you know, it's maybe to a lesser degree Minnesota. 
Um, I, I think it's a real possibility that the Blues take a step back. But then when you're talking about that group, right, when you're talking about the Blues and the Canucks and the Kings and Vegas, like those are sort of all teams of, you know, the same tier, which are going to be on the peripheral, you know, in some cases of a, of the playoff hunt. And I don't know if you're going to take them to, you know, beat necessarily Calgary in a, in a first round matchup or anything, but they're, they're of a type, they're of a class. And I think there's a lot of, you know, you, you guys said it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Western conference teams that are sort of in that, in that, uh, in that mode and kind of in that class. Well, and what I find fascinating about a team like the Colorado Avalanche is because they lost a lot of, you know, high-powered players. No Nazem Kadri, right? I mean, they lost Burakovsky and a lot of their depth guys. And I know they brought in Evan Rodriguez and some other players, but what makes them so special outside of their high-end talent up front is really how great that defense is. I mean, Sam Girard gets hurt last year. They didn't miss a beat. Bowen Byram took another step. I think what really separates these contenders does really come down to that blue line, doesn't it? And I mean, Colorado's blue line is probably the best in the league right now, or at least one of the best ones. Is that really the biggest differentiator here for the top teams in the league? It just comes down to that back end. Cause you see a lot of teams with strong forward groups. I mean, the Canucks have a strong top nine, but it's the back end where they're not in that same class. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's just a thing that separates Colorado from a lot of other teams, you know, is that, you know, they're man from from a scouting standpoint, from from a data analysis standpoint, those guys are just all on the same page, and they know the kind of players they want, and they know the kind of players that they think are going to succeed, and that matches. You know, you can say that about the forward group, but you can also say that about the defensive group as well, right? They go out and get Devin Devontae's for you know two second round picks, and he's you know he'd be the number one defenseman on you know twenty teams in the, in the league right now if he didn't play with Kale McCart. On and on, right? It's being able to build out that group being able to find players who you know effectively kind of do what you want them to do on that back end and that's absolutely man that's an area where where, where Colorado really where, where Colorado really stood out when you, especially in your top four like I that's sort of the way I look at it like you know your your third your third pair kind of is what it is you know you see a lot of analytically savvy smart teams you know, even be willing to throw, you know, a, a physical kind of old school pair down there at the bottom and plan for, you know, 12 or 13 minutes a game. But when it comes to that, those top two pairings, man, you've got to have guys that can move the needle, even if it's only just one on a pairing. And I think that's something Colorado's really good at. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of the truly elite teams are good at. And I think that's, you know, something the Canucks are clearly still in search of, right? Not just, I mean, just having having some kind of option outside of, outside of, you know, really Quinn Hughes to to, to move the needle in in that top four. Yeah, and uh, they're hoping Jack Rathbone can take that step this year. Uh, Sean, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, we really appreciate the time. Our listeners are going to hold you to these projections, though. They're already telling us. So. <laughs> yeah, again, again, let me let me make, let me make it clear. If you agree with me, that's fine. But all complaints can be directed. Uh, towards Dom Lestician. You can Google his name and find him available on Twitter and send your send your problems to him. Uh, good luck spelling uh, Lestician, but uh, that's that's another story for another day. Thanks for the show. <laughs> lots of Z's, lots of S's, not many vowels. Goodbye, everybody. There's uh, Sean Gentile of The Athletic uh, joining us here on Canuck Central. But, uh, yeah, the projections hold the Canucks to uh, 92 points. Yeah. And... Uh, you're kind of just looking for where the uh, who's going to be the breakout player. That's that's really what's going to determine the Canucks. Yeah, and you know, pe- people take 
these projections sometimes too personally or whatever. But that's kind of where the projection would put them in the you know low ninety point range. And the main reason for it is because it takes historical context into into consideration. Well, Elias Pettersson went from two years of you know upward trajectory to going downwards mm-hmm. during the uh, North Division year mm-hmm. and then kind of plateaued and went back up a little bit again. So if you're banking on in your mind as a Canucks fan and as a Pedersen fan and you're thinking he's going to finally take that step, the analytical models don't account for that because he hasn't shown that step. That doesn't mean it can't happen, but what their projection probably is, if that happens, it's probably two years down the road or something or a year yes. down the road. Whereas when we're looking and we, we put in all the nuance in the situation and everything going on, you're like, well, that could happen this year. And if it happens this year, how much does that mean to the Canucks point total? Two points, three points maybe. Well, then you're talking about a 94, 95 point team potentially. And hey, Quinn Hughes, if you factor in, he hasn't had a steady D partner. He's had to carry better players. How much does that account for him? Maybe not having as good analytics as he probably could have. And what if that takes another step with OEL this year? Maybe then you're a 98 point team. So the point being here. The fact that this the Canucks team this Canucks team is projected by these models to be a n- low ninety point team to me is not a bad thing. It should be encouraging because there's a decent chance if things align, they out produce that yeah. projection. Uh, one of the other parts of it um, that can cause that makes it difficult, you know, like right now, model doesn't know how to really look at Spencer Martin for example, as a backup goalie. Very small sample. Because he's played nine NHL games, yeah. right? Um, they don't know, like, is Andre Kuzmenko a replacement-level player, or is he going to be a little bit above yeah. replacement level? Jack Rathbone, same thing. Like, these guys don't have an NHL track record to go off of, so the computer doesn't really know how to project and that. And, you know, and... I know sometimes the analytical discussions and those sort of things takes away from the intrigue and mystery and mysticism of sports a little bit, which sometimes yes. it's it's easier to put your blinders on and just watch and hope. But if, you, if you're looking for reasons to hope and reasons to believe they can, it's exactly what you mentioned. Those are the things you look at and say, this is where the jumps could happen. And if they happen, hey, we're on to something. But it could go the other way as well. If injuries amount, yeah. if Brock Besser can't recover from his wrist injury properly this year, and he really, let's say he, he even goes a back a step, well, all of a sudden, those projections might actually be kind to the team. So it can go either way with these, but I'd actually, like I said, be encouraged if you're seeing these models with the Canucks in that low 90-point team, if you want this team to be a playoff team, because I think it kind of shows that this this squad is capable of that when things align, if things align. So wanted to get back to uh, some of the repercussions of a Brock Besser injury. We'll do a little bit more with with Don Taylor, but Andre Kuzmenko. We talked about it a little bit on the postgame show last night. He played the net front, and we were all a little bit surprised that he wasn't on the left half wall because he's a right shot. You know he's got a great shot. Seems to make sense to have him there on the right half wall and set him up for a one-timer as – uh, opposite of Elias Pettersson. The Canucks have not practiced special teams at all mm-hmm. to this point of the preseason. That'll probably come sometime later this week. So it, it just seemed interesting that they put Kuzmenko net front. And now, I mean, he is obviously 
the favorite to take Brock's spot mm-hmm. until he's back from injury. Yeah, and you know we were talking about it on the post game show last night, and because the team had said, "Don't worry about Besser; it's going to be fine; it's just precautionary." We kind of wonder that, hey, is that the only spot that could be up for grabs potentially, or yeah. whatever it is? To your point, and that was very much, yeah. Let's make sure he plays that <laughs> spot because we might need him there to start the season, right? Because if it's not him, who are your other options? The only other right shot you could potentially put there is Garland. Which I know they don't love in that spot. Yeah. And then I guess you could put a left shot there. Pearson. Yeah, who's played that spot before. Or you can even put put Coles in, in that spot. So but I don't I feel think like Pods Pearson getting... would probably get the nod before Pods though. Yes, I would probably agree with that. But, you know, not having a lefty doesn't mean you can't have a good power play. Even we saw them last year with Besser out and not playing, them still being good and having Pearson net front and doing some different things. But obviously it takes well, away have the an element. power play ace Alex Chase on anymore. No, they don't. And he was terrific in that spot. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that we saw was Pedersen trying to find Kuzmenko on that backdoor play on yeah. the power play and getting that seam pass across. And if he's a left shot, that's a harder play to complete. He's a right shot. It's a tap-in. Kuzminko missed one. I mean, you saw Garland score on one of them, even though he missed the first one, but then he put the rebound in. That play, think of that play. That's a lot harder to complete if you don't have a right shot. Yeah, and that's the one that might get set up a lot because they try to set up Pedersen so often yeah. for the one-timer. If he doesn't have it, he'll go to the slap pass to the back door that potentially is open. And you know, and usually you see that happen, and you saw it last night. And I think it was later in the power play a little bit because yeah. once you get guys moving around, and that's what you want to do. You want to fake. Garland found move. the seam across the zone to Pedersen, and instead of taking the one-timer, he just slapped it right back. Exactly. And enough space opens up. That seam opens. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of space between the defenders, you get that seam pass in. And so it's very nitty-gritty stuff, but that's why you would prefer – one, not yeah. just the only reason, many reasons, but that's one reason why you would prefer to have a right shot if possible. So, like, when we had Brock on on the show Friday, he kind of talked about some of the nuances of, of playing the net front, like – I think uh, casually when you think about it, it's like, oh, net front, like just screen the goalie, you know, like how hard, how hard is that? Right. But there's, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of reading the play. Um, You don't get a ton of puck touches, but the puck is going to come down to you. You've got to be able to retrieve it. You've got to make quick decisions and you've got to be able to get to the spot, make good reads. Yeah as the play is developing around you. I I did feel like Kuzmenko at least had that, but his timing wasn't off. And obviously first time playing in a power play set up with Elias Patterson and all those guys. But you know, the silver lining for him for Kuzmenko is he's going to be given every chance to do this. And it's an easy spot for him, even if he struggles a little bit to get acclimatized five on five, that he can really get get comfortable on that power play. Because I think as much as maybe, to your point, the half wall is probably where he's at his best and where he's shown, but you're still on the top unit power play. And for him, I think that's going to make it a little bit easier for him if he can stick in that spot. Now, Bruce, when talking about um, Kuzmenko last night was kind of the way we were. We're like some positives, but also ask me again. And and after the end of the preseason, when let's we get see it, how he develops, let's see how he develops. But there's no way he's not on the team to start. And this pretty much means it's a spot on the power play and a silver platter for him. And he's going to have to fumble it not to have that spot. 
It's a big spot for Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, the injury for Brock Besser has him out for three to four weeks. Successful surgery on his hand. And what spots does that open up? Nils Hoaglander's now got a spot in the top nine. We'll focus on him more in the second hour and what this means for him and the opportunity he could potentially have. Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Blackandlee.com. Don Taylor joins us next on Canucks Central.